Well, it's good to sing with you this evening about the greatest birth that the world has ever known, the birth of Jesus Christ. As much as we love and celebrate other births, this is a birth that holds significance for every single human being that has ever walked the planet. And so it's right and fitting and good that we sing joyous praise to him. One of the most profound and beautiful things that I have had the opportunity to observe this year has been the unparalleled comfort that a parent can provide for their child. We've all likely observed this phenomenon in one way or another throughout our lives. The child hurts themselves. Mom or dad picks up the young one and consoles them like no one else can child is hungry and and maybe whining because they're hungry or or just in need of attention in that way. And mom nurses the baby who is perfectly content against mom's warm body. Child is tired and whimpering in their exhaustion and mom or dad pick them up and rock them gently to sleep. No one can comfort baby like mom or dad. Child is scared. Mom or dad sing to their little one or hold their little one's hand, and there's peace. Hurt and hardship are remedied at the touch of mom or dad. The comfort that a parent can bring is unparalleled. My wife and I joked the other day as we saw this unfolding before our eyes with our little one, Nathan. uh, we, We joked, we said, wouldn't it be nice if we all had someone who could pick us up when we were scared or feed us when we were hungry or provide us security and and meet all of our needs just at a whim like a parent does for their child. Life is difficult. There are plenty of obvious difficulties these days that cause us grief and unrest. And there are also many underlying difficulties that don't get as much press. There's loneliness. There's loss. Maybe there's chronic health struggles in your life or someone that you know. There's our own sin and harmful behavior. And there are so many more difficulties that I can't even begin to unpack that that sort of fly underneath the surface. They aren't as explicit as things making headlines today. And when we celebrate Christmas, when we come to celebrate this time of year, Christmas celebrations can often have two effects on us. The, The one effect is that the Christmas celebration can be jarring because we know that this candy cover joy that is sort of pasted everywhere is not what we are authentically feeling. We know it's not true of our circumstances. We've just been through a pandemic. We've just been, we're going through economic, unprecedented events. We, time and time again, difficulty is hitting us in every direction. And so Christmas, celebrating Christmas can be jarring. The, the other um, effect that celebrating Christmas at this time of year can have on us is we feel like the celebration is a bit of a cover-up. Like we're sort of putting makeup on so that people don't see who, who we really are, so that we can shove off all of the difficulty and, and, and not have to expose how we're really feeling, the pain that is really going on inside. And so celebrating can be a temporary painkiller. And what we really need at Christmas, I think, is comfort, genuine comfort, not a temporary comfort, not a sympathetic two-second pat on the back, but something of substance that will last, something that will settle us, something that will sustain us. What we need is 
authentic and enduring comfort. So just for the next couple of minutes, I simply want to point us to the fact this evening that the Christian celebration of Christmas reminds us of our need for comfort and points us in the only direction that that enduring and authentic comfort can be found. There is one place to find comfort. There is one place to grab a hold of comfort. And I want you to see that in the passage of Scripture um, that we're going to be in this evening. So maybe you haven't brought a Bible with you, or maybe you don't have the Bible on your phone. Um, there are blue Bibles in front of you, and I'd love you to see this text for yourself. If you would turn to page 857 in that blue Bible in front of you, we are going to look at an event that took place after the birth of Jesus Christ. And this event provides an insight into this authentic and enduring comfort that we so long for. So if you turn to page 857, look for the big number 2 and small number 22. We're going to read from verse 22 all the way to verse 38. Small number 38. Let me read that for us. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What we've just read from is what I would refer to as a biography of Jesus. And this biography has, has context. We, we just sort of jumped in, you know, a number of verses into this biography. You don't typically read a biography that way. You typically read it from chapter one all the way to the end. We've just sort of jumped in right in, right in, you know, the middle, as you could say. And what we've seen so far, um, in case you're wondering what we've missed, is we have seen the birth of Jesus Christ announced to a number of different folks. 
First, it was announced to a priest and his wife, and there is great joy as they begin to understand that this Christ is coming and that their son, they thought they were barren, but their son would be the herald for this Christ child who is king. And then this announcement of Jesus Christ's birth comes to the very mother of the child, Mary, and there is great joy. She sings out this song. And she praises God for sending the Savior. And then after the child is born, there is this scene which so many of us are familiar with where the shepherds, these shepherds off on the outskirts of some town somewhere are visited by a host of heavenly angels announcing the birth of Jesus Christ and giving praise to God for this deliverer. And there's joy written all over that narrative. Carrie was actually so kind as to read that narrative for us just before I came up. And now in the passage that we just read, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to present Jesus to God according to Jewish custom. And at the temple, they meet two people, two elderly people, an elderly man and an elderly woman. And these two individuals, as we look closely at the text that we just read, show us that comfort is found in this Christ child, Jesus Christ. They show us that authentic and enduring comfort is found in this baby in arms in the text here. And so there are three reasons that I just want to point out to you very quickly and simply in this text that we can be comforted this Christmas. Look with me at reason number one. We can be comforted because the arrival of Jesus, this Christ child, ends our waiting. You see, in verse 22, actually verse 25, we are introduced to this elderly man, Simeon. And notice we are given a number of descriptions of this man. You can probably see them as, as you read verse 22 and, uh, 25 and 26. He's a man who's righteous. He's, he's, he, his, his standing before God is right. He is a devout man. He is devoted to God. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And then I think of possibly most significance here, something that I want to highlight the most, the most profoundly is Simeon isn't only a righteous man and a devout man and a man who the Holy Spirit rests upon, but Simeon is a waiting man. Simeon is a waiting man. He has been waiting for the consolation of Israel or the comfort of Israel. He's waiting for God to deliver and rescue Israel from their bondage. He's waiting for God's deliverer, the Savior, who's been promised from, from, from generations past, who would bring rescue from sin and, and total peace. He's waiting for this comforter that God had promised would bring salvation. He is a waiting man. Any of us know what anticipating the birth of a child is like? Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or you have kids of your own and you're awaiting the birth of this child. When my parents were first awaiting the birth of their first grandchild, they were so eager. They were so excited to see who this baby would be, what it would look like, hold the babe in arms. And they were traveling around the time, conveniently traveling around the time of the due date of this young one. And they were stuck in Vancouver. They don't live in Vancouver, but they were stuck in Vancouver for a couple of days. And they thought, maybe we will overlap with the time of this baby's arrival. Well, the 
baby was delayed, as, as babies are so good at doing, and my parents had to fly 16 hours north to Terrace, where they lived, and they weren't able to get back down to Vancouver for quite a number of months. Actually, my brother and sister-in-law were going to have to go north in order for my parents to see this little grandchild. So they were so disappointed that they had missed this baby. And, 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 and sure enough, a day or two later, their first grandchild arrives, and they're stuck up north. Well, Christmas is coming, and my, my twin brother and his wife have made travel plans. We're going to go spend Christmas with mom and dad. And we are going to, uh, you know, obviously bring our kid with us. They don't survive on their own. And um, so they're, they're ready to board the plane, but what happens? Freezing rain. Another delay of two days. The grandparents are waiting. They are waiting on edge They're with eager anticipation. So you can imagine that moment when finally everyone's able to board their plane. And the plane arrives and finally... Grandma and Grandpa are able to see their grandchild after all of this waiting, the exhilaration that they would have felt. Well, on this particular day in this passage, Simeon, who has been waiting, he is a man wrinkled. He is a man old with age who has been guaranteed that he will not die until his eyes have seen the Christ child. On this particular day, the Holy Spirit leads him to the temple and his waiting comes to an end. He beholds this child who is sent from God for the salvation of sin. For the salvation of sinners, I should say. And finally, he sees this child and he declares. I mean, you can see that, 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 that he, 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 he yells out, as it were. He blesses God. Look at verse 29, 30, 31, 32. He blesses God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. <laughs> Essentially what he's saying is, Lord, I can die happy now. Lord, I, 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 can, go, I can go and be with you. Life, <laughs> life doesn't hold anything for me any longer. For you have fulfilled your promises. My eyes have beheld your salvation. I have seen all that my whole life has longed to see. Salvation has come through this child. And he is so thankful for this salvation. He is comforted. And you can just imagine, you can, you can picture Simeon with this babe in arms, this, this old frail man with this baby in his arms, realizing that comfort has come. What Isaiah prophesied 700 years before, which we read at the start of this service, comfort, comfort for my people is now realized in the arms of Simeon as he holds this child. He is holding the comforter himself. And so we can be comforted this Christmas because the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of this Christ child, this whole celebration right here, marks an end to waiting. The Savior has come. Number two, if you look at the text, it shows us again that there's further reason for comfort. We can be comforted because the arrival of Jesus points us to victory. Not only is our waiting ended, but victory is pointed to. After these words of praise, Mary and Joseph, they, they marvel at all that Simeon has said. And, and Simeon sort of turns to them after declaring that his eyes have seen this great salvation, which is available for all people. And he turns to Mary and Joseph and he blesses them. And, and so often when we hear the word blessing, we, we think, you know, something positive, something, high, uh, something climactic is about to be said. 
And something climactic is said, but it's not the sort of blessing that, that you and I would picture when we hear that word. Simeon turns and he blesses them with some rather strange words. And what his words reveal in, in, in verse 34 and 35 is that the life and ministry of Jesus would be one of division. This Christ child, this babe in arms, would bring division to the world. Some people would accept him as the king that he is, and other people would not. They would reject him. He would be a stench of death to those who are perishing, and an aroma of life to those who are being saved. Here's the fact about Jesus as we read the, the, the biographies in the New Testament on him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The person of Jesus divides. There is no neutrality when it comes to the person of Jesus. There was no neutrality in Jesus' day, and there's no neutrality now. You are either for Jesus or you are against Jesus. Jesus' claims about himself are not something that we can sit on the fence about and say, well, I'm sort of, I'm kind of deciding. No, we're, we're either against him. We either believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The only, the, our exclusive access to God the Father. Or we're, we're, we're on the other side and we reject him and we reject his lordship and we reject his kingship. We either rise or we fall at the name of Jesus. Simeon tells Mary that many would oppose Jesus, and, and, and he gives the reason people would oppose Jesus because he would expose their heart. See, to, to admit that we need Jesus is to admit that we are broken, that we are sinners, that we do what is harmful, that we do what we were not made to do, and that we dabble in things that are destructive and that we need help from the outside because we cannot conjure up the salvation that we need on the inside. It is to admit that we are broken to say that we need Jesus. And that is why the person of Jesus would bring division. He would be the light that would shine in the darkness and expose our deeds of darkness. And who of us, when we're watching a movie, let's say, in the dark, Likes it when someone walks downstairs and flicks the lights on. And we, we sort of, oh man, that's terrible on the eyes. None of us love being exposed. And especially when it comes to our sin. We do not like the lights being turned on and ourselves exposed. And so the person of Jesus would be divisive. So, so how is their victory here? Caleb, I'm not seeing how this is comforting. Because you just said that the person of Jesus is going to bring division. How is, how is their victory here? How, are their, how is their comfort in Simeon's words at this, at this point in time? It doesn't sound very comforting. The answer is found at the beginning of verse 35. If you have your Bible open, look there with me. Where Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce through your soul. This pictures Mary at the foot of the cross in grief at the death of her son, it foreshadows the cross that Jesus came to bear. See, Jesus did not come to draw a sword and to conquer and to sit on a throne on this earth and to do away with the oppression of the Roman people at that time. He came to die. He came to take your sin and my sin upon his shoulders and to bleed on a Roman cross for our sakes so that we might have life in his name. 
And so the cradle, this child in arms, points to the cross, points to this, this, this almost foolish victory. How is it that a king could come and die? And, and we could say there's victory here. Well, it's because three days later, this king would not only die and pay the penalty for our sins, but he would rise again in victory over sin and over death and over Satan. And so Simeon's words here to Mary are a pointer to the cross. As we look at the cradle, we have to look at the cross. And there we remember the victory of God as Jesus rises from the dead. And so there are even comfort here in these words. So we can be comforted because the arrival of Jesus Christ ends our waiting. We can be comforted because the arrival of Jesus points us to the victory of God through his son on the cross. And we can be comforted thirdly, lastly, as we look at this second figure of the text, because the arrival of Jesus compels us to give thanks. The arrival of Jesus compels us to give thanks. We encounter a prophetess in verse 36 all the way to 38. Her name is Anna. And we don't know a whole lot about this woman. Actually, all that we know about this woman is what is contained in these three verses. What we do know from these three verses is that she is an elderly woman who is also waiting for the Messiah. And she practically lives at the temple, praying and fasting day and night. And she has spent long and lonely years waiting for this Savior. And it's interesting that we don't know much about this lady, but the one fact that Luke wants to point out to us, the writer of this gospel, is this. She had been a widow for at least 60 plus years. She had lived a life of loneliness. She had lived a life of loss. And Anna had been alone for 60 plus years. And no doubt there were hurts and hardships that we aren't even aware of. And yet look at the response that she makes as she sees this baby in the temple. It is exuberant thanksgiving. We don't, we don't get any words recorded for her. We don't have any phrases from her. All we see, look at verse 38. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. As Anna sees this Christ child, and as she understands who he is, this is the Messiah, this is the king, this is the one who came that we might have life and life to the fullest. All she can do is give thanks to God and speak of him to all who are around her. This is the climactic thanks that this woman who had known loss, who had known loneliness in her life, this is all that she can do. This is all that she can do. She gives praise to her God. And the victory of Jesus Christ at the cross and tomb, it guarantees that our sins are pardoned if we turn to this Jesus in faith. The victory of, of Jesus Christ at the cross and tomb guarantees that our suffering has a timestamp on it. That's why she's praising God. My suffering is a timestamp on it. I realize that, that this little one who has come for me is the timestamp on my suffering, on my loneliness, on my loss. The victory of Christ at the cross and tomb guarantees that we will be raised from the grave when Christ comes again. It guarantees life everlasting. So earlier in this service, we sang this line. The first song uh, that we sang had this line in it. 
Earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal. And then again in verse 2, earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot cure. And I want us to think about this. Is it true that earth has no sorrows that heaven cannot heal, that heaven cannot cure? Does, does earth have no sorrows that heaven cannot bring comfort to? Or is this line just being a little bit too optimistic? Is it, is it exaggerating? Well, Anna and Simeon's answer in this text is that this line is absolutely true. As they behold this Christ child, they are filled with comfort and with joy. And as we look at the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the answer to this question, can this line be true that earth has no sorrows, that heaven cannot heal? The answer is, it is absolutely true that earth has no sorrows, that heaven cannot heal. I love the scene in the Charlie Brown Christmas movie where Linus is reciting the Christmas story. He's reciting the true meaning of Christmas. And as he quotes that line that the angels say, fear not, Linus, who, what's, the, what's the object that he holds? He holds his security, his blue security blanket. In every single depiction of Linus that we ever see, he's always holding his security blanket. But as he says, fear not, for the only time in the Peanut comics, what does he do? He drops his security blanket. And I think that's one of the most profound moments in, in sort of cartoon depiction, art history, because what the writer is saying there is that this Jesus Christ who the angels are announcing and who, are, who, this, who these angels are declaring with joy. This Jesus Christ takes away all need for any other temporary, fading, fleeting security blankets. He alone brings the comfort that we need, and we need not fear any longer. There are difficulties in life. Comfort is needed, and we so often go to other sources for the comfort that we need. We have our little security blankets. And what the text is telling us today, what this account, what these two elderly people are showing us this very evening is that we dare not go anywhere except for Christ. He alone is our comfort. He alone is authentic and enduring comfort. And so my, my plea to you, my invitation to you this evening is that we turn to him this Christmas season. He is Lord of all. Why don't we sing together? Let me pray as the team comes up and then we will end our service with singing. Lord God, we pray that you would comfort us with these considerations and that you would show us, Lord, that this Christ child who came is truly the Savior of the world. And I pray, Lord, that Christians and non-Christians alike, Lord, would cling to him, would look at him, would stare at him, and would see that he alone is faithful, he alone is good, and he alone can give us all that is needed for a life of thriving. He alone is life and life to the fullest. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.